Hello people, it's Callum from the Hustling With Houses podcast. Firstly, Happy New Year and all the best for 2024. If you are enjoying this podcast, if you could please drop us a follow on whatever platform you are listening on. It really helps us grow the podcast and it'd be much appreciated. Today, we have Nikon from 369 Developers and it's a cracking podcast. All the best people. So, Nick, welcome to the Hustling with Houses podcast. Absolutely brilliant to have you on. How are things with you? Really good, and uh, thanks for thanks for having me on. Um, like I said, I'm 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 literally booking in some podcasts, which I put a post up on the other day. Which obviously you you reached out, which is fantastic. Um, and yeah, we're just we're just trying to sort of do a few podcasts this year to get ourselves out there a little bit more and um, let people know about our journey and stuff like that no problem Nick no problem and it's like I say it's good to have you on I know I know you obviously put yourself out there a lot this year um one of your goals is obviously posting every day which is one of one of yeah. mine too um so we can obviously hold each other accountable for that one um I know you're involved in the H- HMO game Nick so yeah. what, what are you what are you sort of playing with at the moment what what have you got going on so we've just completed uh our it's actually my first six bed HMO which was on Honed under the hammer and um i was it was an eye opener for me um but it was definitely the next stepping stone that i needed from my first buy to let um which was obviously brrr method um which was fantastic brilliant deal um i learned along the way from a couple of guys one of them be the anxious investor shout out to shout out to him and uh james property as well brilliant fantastic guys speak to them you know quite quite recently and quite a lot as well um, and they sort of helped me with my education uh, before I got into doing my first ever property. Um, and I think it's very important that when you get into the property game, it's there's so many people out there on Instagram now that are, you know, they're putting all this content out there that's like, oh, you know, get a free house, get this, get that. We all know nothing's free in this world, you know, especially property. Um, yes, of course, you can class it as a free house once you've pumped your money in or you've pumped an angel investor's money in, but somewhere along the line, you're going to need money. Yes, there are deals out there to have, you know, with angel investors, but you've still got to pay them back and stuff like that. But if you're that fresh to the market, you know, it's it's much more difficult for uh, a newbie, let's say, to try and get investment from an angel investor because they're going to want to know that you've got experience, you know, that they're, they're basically their, their money safe. So a lot of people do go to family and friends. Um, now, when I first sort of purchased my own property, I had a couple of businesses before and, you know, a bit of cash stashed away. Obviously, the main thing for me was get education, 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 um, because getting that start of things going into a property world, it's like a minefield. And uh, if you haven't got the education there to sort of teach you, you're literally going to get stung and it will sting you very, very hard. And it won't just be, you know, it's going to hit you hard in the pocket. So yeah. we did that. Um, I bought my first buy to let. I uh, had a fantastic building team that come in and done it for me. Um, flipped it around in three months, you know, bridging finance, times money on bridging finance. Um, and yeah, it's just, it was, it was an eye opener to do that and, and to, to see this stage of the BRRR method that uh, I did obviously learn from um, the anxious investor um to see it come to fruition 
and see it actually work out and then you've done the deal and you you know you've researched the area and it's all come out gravy it's just a fantastic feeling because you know you then sit there and go oh I can do this again but then for me my mind was I started to sit back and get a little bit more education in terms of you know how can I get more money out of these things because although you can get an all-out money deal which which we did on that first one you've still got a huge amount of capital tied up in a property, which obviously is a cash-flowing asset. But I sat there and thought, you know, started reading about HMOs um, and big shout-out to um, Alistair Farquhar as well. I learned a lot from him about HMOs. Um, he's a fantastic guy. He does a lot of stuff down the South Coast. Um, he was sort of the guy I sort of looked at and went to to learn my knowledge about HMOs. And... I just I sat there and thought, okay, I've, I've I've taken this cash out now. Let's go and look for another property. And my first one, obviously, was bought at auction. Now I've never bought an auction before ever, so it's a little bit daunting. But I actually purchased it prior to auction. I saw this property and obviously everything I found in terms of you know floor plans, layouts, seeing how much rental income we can get about you know permitted development rights and sugens and absolutely everything it's, it's a completely different kettle of fish when you get into hmos in terms of safety regulations and stuff like that yeah. so when i purchased the property i was like this is the one and i had to pay a little bit more than what i was asking the asking price about 180 and i went in at sort of i'd done a bit of research in terms of the previous owner and i know he was in a bit of sort of financial stress let's say and the empty the property had been empty about three years. So I looked up on Company's House, a little tip here, looked up on Company's House, saw how much he purchased the property for, and I saw he purchased it for 235 grand um, about five, six years ago. So obviously me knowing that he was in financial difficulties, let's say, and he had the um, mortgage or bridge and finance breathing down his neck, I went in at 237,500 to obviously the two and a half to pay his legal fees. And obviously I had fees and stuff on top of that. And he accepted the offer straight away. Um, so it all it all worked out lovely. Um, so obviously I got my first HMO. Everything got completed with the, you know, fantastic legal teams and stuff that done it in time in 20 days. So that was quite stressful. Um, and then we basically just had to get to work. And it was kind of like, what do we do? <laughs> so um, I'd already got the uh, builder to come in and sort of, you know, estimate the price of the build which he helped me do, which is very important, know your numbers, which we did. But then halfway through doing the actual property, I realised I wanted to maximise the layout of the property, go into the loft and create this, you know, luxury HMO, which there were some in the area uh, of Ipswich. That's my main uh, area that I invest in. And I just wanted to be completely different. And obviously, Homes Under the Hammer then got involved, and I was like, whoa, this is this is too much. Um, but then I was like, yeah, you know what? Why not? Let's go on. And I knew my capabilities to be able to make this something special. And um, I, I obviously work with the building team, um, Aspire Property Renovation, follow them guys as well. They're fantastic. Um, and he's been – Lyndon is, um, is the guy there – his team are brilliant and they've obviously assisted me along the way. But I said to him, I want to be very hands-on with this one. Very, very hands-on just for educational purposes for myself as an investor, for my path, obviously where I want to, where I want to go to. 
I wanted to know about what stage these properties were at, how long did things take, what were the cost of things. So I'd done a lot of project management on that property myself, and I'd done a lot of the build myself, being coached by the builder, obviously, um, for some you know stuff structural that I didn't know about. And it took me 11 months to do that property, but I'd done it literally with my own bare hands. And it was such an achievement to do it and see it on the, you know, on the big screen on, you know, Homes Under the Hammer, one of the biggest shows in the UK. To see it come to fruition, uh, it was just a great achievement. And obviously, you know, we got, you know, some some issues with evaluations and stuff like that afterwards, which is another minefield to worry about on, you know, HMOs. But yeah, we was we was really, really impressed with the final result. And uh, yeah, it was definitely an eye opener. Uh, definitely an eye opener to you know to obviously the next HMOs we're going to look at and and the stages what we don't look for now in HMOs and what we you know where we're going now in the future. Yeah, most definitely, Nick. And I seen that one. It looks a belter, and I seen um, I seen they approach you as well. How, how did that even come about? Is it just a case of right place, right time, or? So what they do is that anything that's bought at auction that they've got, I believe. What they do is the auction house give you the details on things that they think is going to be a bit juicy, what they're going to turn them into. And then what they do is they will ring you up and ask you if you want to be on the show. And then I completed on, I think it was like the 11th of March or something. And I said, we're starting work as of tomorrow. And he said, oh, I don't know if we can get somebody there in time. I said, it's going to be a good one. You need to get here. And he called up Tommy Walsh and Tommy Walsh was about an hour away or something like that. And he come the next day and I said, I'm not slowing down for things because you're on a bridge in finance. You've got to get it done. Um, so, yeah, he obviously come the next day. Me and my builder turned up, me and Lyndon, and uh, we filmed the show. So they come in, and this is sort of towards the end of COVID, but they come in and film the show for about, I think they were there for about nine hours, ten hours in the end with Tommy, and they film the whole show. And you only turn up for like an hour, and, you know, you do your piece, and then they film everything else, and then they let you crack on with the work, and they don't bother you until it's finished. So, yeah, good experience, good experience. And they've said to me, yeah, they've said to me as well, like, if I buy any more, uh, they've got to be at auction, though. That's part of their, like, rules and regulations. It has to be at auction. If I buy any more to get in contact with them because they want me to come back on the show. So I said, yeah, I will do, obviously. It was a good experience. And it it obviously showcases your work out there as well, as we've all seen on Homes Under the Hammer. They're not all the same spec. (laughs) Yeah. That's it. That's it. One thing I wanted, I did want to ask Nick is obviously when you were saying about the HMO you bought and you you did a land yep. reds check, you seen how much it was. You know, he, he bought it for etc. etc. I've got a little. I've got a property that I'm trying to purchase at the moment. The guy wants say two fifteen, and I'm being a bit tight as you are yep. offering sort of two oh eight, two oh nine. Um, what are your thoughts on because you? Because this mm-hmm. might this is going to be yep. a six bed HMO as well, six bathroom. Hoping for the hoping for the commercial valuation. How do you work out your offer in terms of, if you know you're going to, it's a tough one because with six bed, six bathroom, you, you're hoping you're going to get that commercial valuation. But how do you work out your offer? Do you, do you, do you still do it based on the um, bricks and mortar valuation if it's a six so bed? Or... For, for me, it's very important to have multiple exit strategies on that property before you even go into it. So obviously you've got to, you've got to try and work out Worst case scenario is going to be a bricks and mortar valuation. So you have to work out bricks and mortar valuation because 
we all know that you know valuations can go against you and it could be someone's got out of bed the wrong side or you know it could be a multitude of things you might get a valuer there that doesn't really know about commercial valuations you know we had this problem with the one that we've just had done and um you have to try and ensure for in the valuer's eyes that when you are completing a property especially a six bed it's a little bit tricky they normally have to be all on suites to be quite honest you have to you have to have developed yeah. the house in such a way that they it can't be used as a normal property anymore now there's so many different ways and means and stuff like that that valuers look at it it, it really does depend on how they wish to see it and a lot of them will always give you a bricks and mortar or a hybrid valuation it's very rare that they'll give you a full commercial valuation unless um, you try and do stages where you can take that away from them so we changed ours obviously we got permitted development from c3 to c4 we just found that having it as a c4 officially with the government as well obviously with the councils you have to pay for it put it into planning you know via permit development having that there and giving that they can't really then class it as a c3 which is basically bricks and mortar so you've got to try and take everything away from them it sounds really horrible but you've got to try and make it in your favor rather than them to allow them to get you a bricks and mortar but going back to the obviously the original question the way we normally price them up is that we will obviously look at it as a commercial valuation based on rental and the way we normally work out commercial vows, and it is different throughout the country, but as a general rule of thumb, we will work out however many bedrooms you've got in there, and then you times it by, obviously, your yearly uh, rental income, and you normally times it by about 10.5, which gives you around a roughish a roughish figure. Ooh. Some areas might give eight, eight and a half, 8.2, some might give 12. So 10's kind of round figure, um, or 10 and a half, which is what we normally do. Now... The way we normally work it out, like I said, is that we work that out and then we'll work out the bricks and mortar valuation as well. And we'll say, look, if this does get done at bricks and mortar valuation, how much is the build cost going to be? This is where it gets tight with HMOs because if they do do it as a six bed, most HMOs uh, to renovate sort of back to brick, which is normally the easiest way of doing it because it's quicker, you're going to be looking down south, this is, not up north. Down south, you're going to be starting about 150 grand. And that's just without any extensions or, you know, you might get a little extension that doesn't need this or doesn't need that. But that's not loft conversions and stuff like that. That's converting a normal three-bed property into, like, say, six slash seven without, you know, fees from architects, you know, everything like that. So it's a tricky one. So if you sit there and say, oh, I'm going to, you know, you've got a 300,000 pound house and you've got 150 grand off the build, you know, and you want your 25%, let's say, for your profits, that's kind of where you know where your where your bid needs to be, but you know it's it's not going to happen that way. So it's it's always a tricky one with HMOs. You've got to look at the long term of HMOs. Like I'm talking 20, 25 years plus, not five years, not ten years. You've got to look at them as twenty five year sort of investments because you know it's about cash flow with HMOs really. Unless you're doing, you know seven beds and above Sue gem which is basically what we are now doing which is what we've learned from the six bed so we we are now focusing primarily on the larger hmos which is classed as a Sue generous seven beds and above now obviously there's different stages of planning that you go through to obviously you know create them um, but i've learned 
a lot of this planning and stuff like that through one of my investor pals, um, Chris at Perry Living. And also I've learned a lot of tips and tricks just recently. Now I've completed the HMO and now I want to take it the next step further. I've learned from Mitch Nunn and obviously Phil Brett. Um, fantastic guys. Um, learned a hell of a lot from them. I've got a lot of time for these guys. And obviously if they ask me certain tips and tricks as well, you know, we have laughs and stuff like that, but it's always really important to surround yourself and see like-minded individuals. Um, and I know that uh, Mitch Mitch does uh, do his HMO days as well. So if you're looking into getting to HMOs, you know, have a look at Mitch. He's got HMO days that he shows you around like four or five sites that he's got running at once. He helps you out. We will be, you know, purchasing a lot more property this year ourselves and we will eventually start doing some of this as well in terms of getting people to come and look at the sites if it helps them out and they want questions in the area basically of Ipswich, Suffolk. Um, now, you know, it's very important, I think, sometimes for people to, you know, come and have a look at what you're doing if they don't understand because if you sort of go head first into an HMO and you haven't got a clue about education, it's going to cost a lot of money. So yeah, just just be careful of that. Yeah, most definitely, and I agree with what you said. I, I've learned a lot from uh, Phil and and, yeah. and Mitch. Um, Phil, I speak to quite a bit. I'm not. I'm trying to. I'm trying to get him on the podcast. Uh, Mitch, Mitch, I've never really directly spoke to, but I, I've got some good tips from Mitch. Like like you were saying before about the um, making, you know, the C three to C four, making it making it as hard as you can for the yeah. lender to look at it, not look at it as a sort of residential. And one tip that I, I, I picked up from uh, Mitch, which I thought was really good, is on the horse stairs and landing, he put sort of like commercial yeah. carpet, like office carpet. Yeah. I absolutely love that. But I'm definitely doing that. It just it just gives it that yeah. sort of commercial feel. Um, but most definitely great guys and, and great uh, sort I think, of education. I think well. with, with HMO developers, you know, like Mitch and Phil, like they're on, they're on such big scales. I mean, I think, you know, Phil, Phil is sort of pumping out between 25 and 30 HMOs a year, you know, so it's like astronomical levels, but, you know, learning from a guy like that, who I've got a lot of time for, and also Mitch, you know, Mitch is doing between, you know, six and 10 a year as well. Plus he's got new developments and he's got everything else. So, you know, I've got a lot of time and, you know, basically thank them for their time that they take out of their time to speak to me on the phone and stuff like that because it does help me. And like I said, if you're in this journey and you're not willing to, you know, learn every single day from people where you want to be, then, you know, you're in, you're in the wrong profession because you have to be slightly different and you have to sort of understand your niche in the market. And if you're not producing a different product compared to everybody else where you're getting higher rents and stuff like that, people sort of start looking at you going, why is he achieving more money than what we are? And you sit there and, you know, you have you have your things about it, like, you know, producing more stuff inside your, you know, your um, your properties and just, yeah, creating better living, co-living spaces. Um, and like I said, we're, we're, uh, we're looking forward to this year on, on our journey as well. So, Nick, for someone like myself who's done a few single lets, um, realised, okay, the rates are high, profits aren't great. Yeah, sometimes you can get all your money out, sometimes you can get... 75% of your money out or, or whatever. Um, but then sort of soon realise that, okay, HMOs have got to be the way now. What is the difference, do you think, from a single let to a HMO? What, what is the difference in, in work ethic and how much how much work is needed to put in? And and, and, and obviously price is a massive one as well. It's not it's not cheap. Yeah. What would you say? To no, I think 
I think the biggest factor is cash flow, if I'm completely honest. It's about, you know, generating the yields from higher cash flow from an HMO than you do on a single let. Now, it's also securing your investment for, you know, you do get obviously a higher higher churn rate of tenants and stuff like that inside an HMO. But if you get one room that doesn't pay your rent or there's a void or something like that, the other five rooms make up for that. So when you're sort of working out your figures of HMOs and stuff, you'll probably find about two to three bedrooms out of a six. And I wouldn't advise doing anything less than a six if you're doing them correctly, because the void period, if you was to get, you know, three three rooms filled, say 50% or however many you've done, you'll find it'll cover most bills and it'll probably cover your mortgage. Now, it's a little bit different with mortgage rates the way they are. You might need four rooms filled out of six, but that's always a, a good thing to sort of have, you know, because the demand around HMOs at the moment is absolutely like obscene. Um, people are coming in, they're paying over the odds for, you know, rooms, you're getting people outbid each other. And, you know, as soon as they see your rooms that you're doing to a very high standard, like that's it, like, it's, it's already sold. Now with normal buy-to-lets, you can park your money there, um, no problem at all. And it can give you like, you know, a nice steady income. You're only having to deal with, you know, one tenant or a family or something like that. And you'll find you won't hear from them as much. That's if you're self-managing. Now, if you're self-managing an HMO, and you're good at management, you might hear from quite a few tenants at once. You're dealing with six individuals rather than just one person on a normal AST. You've got six individual ASTs, and the larger you you know, you know get up, um, the larger the property, the more people you're going to have to deal with if you self-manage. Now, I self-manage my own HMO, but if I'm looking to scale to where we need to be, that's going to be managed by a managing agent or self-managed by an agency if we decide to sort of, you know, keep that in-house as well, that's something that you've always got to look at based on sort of a 20-year plan or 25-year plan because, you know, that's that's kind of where you need to be if you need to scale to that point. Um, so I think the, the two main things is it depends on what your situation is with investments. If you want sort of a very hands-off, you don't really care about, you know, managing tenants, you just want a quick... 500 pound or something like that coming in a month from your property and you know the yields going then go to single lets i mean we've got we've got a bit of content obviously on our uh, our instagram account and stuff you can go through some sort of helpful tips and stuff like that um under sort of 369 developers um we try and help people along the way to understand these points of what's the difference between a buy to let what's the difference between an hmo just things like this so it helps people out you know where i can for where I don't think the information it is out there, but I just wanted people to, you know, understand in uh, in a bit better form, I think it is. Uh, just bringing, you know, highlight highlighting the yeah. facts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I think like you said as well, like education's a massive thing. My last my last project was a four-bed four bed property, three reception rooms, absolutely perfect for a HMO. But because it wasn't educated properly, I did I didn't know that you could get commercial valuation. I didn't know all this. So if I knew that now, obviously the, the money would have been a bit tight because you know the refair was massive as a single let. Um, but I, I kind of wish now I'd done that as a HMO. Your it's hindsight's a fantastic thing, isn't it? It's, it's so it's such a fantastic thing. And I think another thing to point out to people that are trying to get into HMOs as well, like for a first time 
is just be a little bit cautious trying to go into it for your first project. I'm not saying it can't be done if you're educated in the correct way, but you'll find that a lot of lenders, I'm not saying it's impossible, but a lot of lenders like to see you have a track record from sort of being a landlord and having your sort of buy-to-lets, let's say, one or whatever it may be, and they like to you to sort of be normally a landlord for about a year on a normal buy to let's see how it's been running and see sort of some figures coming in and like i said it's not impossible to go out and get an hmo you know bridging loan and stuff like that but you'll find it will be reduced in the market to people offering you to be able to go and do such a large development because they're going to be a little bit more cautious because you've never done it before and i think when lenders tell you that that's why you have to be cautious yourself and make sure you're educated, taking that next step. Like I said, I've been doing it three years, not a long time, but I'm educating myself all the time into, you know, doing things. I mean, you know, mentoring's great, but it can be a minefield out there of finding the right mentor. Um, so, you know, there are some fantastic people out there that do mentor, but just do your research on them. You know, if they, they might talk the talk, check, Check them out. Check their companies out on Companies House. All the data is there to see if they're talking the millionaire's lifestyle, but their books on their business are showing, you know, showing lemonade money, or they haven't got properties and stuff like that. So it's always very, very important to check out if somebody's talking the talk. Do your due diligence like you would a property, and have a look at their company or have a look at them as an individual and find out. Do they talk the talk? You know, have they got 50 properties in, in, you know, in these companies, these limited companies and stuff? And if they haven't, there's big red alarm bells there. You've got to be very, very cautious in the property world because there are people out there trying to sell courses to people that don't know a lot about it. They might have learnt themselves, and that's how they end up getting paid. They don't actually do property themselves. Yeah. So just be very cautious. Most definitely. I think, it's it, like you say, it's like the Wild West out there. I, I, I've nearly been roped in a couple of times. You see these people, who, you know, they're paying for, yeah, online they look like the man and then companies' houses are, are, you know, a complete different thing. And I think that's a great tip. Always check. Always check companies' house and see what's what and see what they really own and, yeah. and where, where their money is actually coming from. <laughs> is it training or is it property? I think, yeah. I think I think a lot of people as well, a lot of people, they, they sort of have this dream of being a property developer and stuff like this. And these people come on the Instagram feeds with their sponsors, for, you know, showing all the, you know, Lamborghinis and Ferraris and, you know, living these beautiful lifestyles. And you'll find a lot of them, like I said, they don't back it up in company's house. I'm not saying everybody's like that because they're not, because there are some fantastic guys out there that are, you know, doing mentoring or looking to do mentoring. I mean, prime example, I know Mitch is starting to do mentoring as well. Um, and I don't know if Phil's going to sort of do it yet, but I'm pretty sure he'd be a fantastic mentor as well. Uh, because, you know, you've got to look at their balance books and stuff and they they walk the walk, you know, you can see it doing it. So guys like that, they're worth their weight in gold. Um, but I can imagine they probably won't open their books up to a lot yeah. of people and they, they're going to be very selective in who they work with because their brand's very important, which obviously it is to all yeah. of us. You, you've clearly got like a great circle around you, the people who, who are doing really well. And I think that's that's massively important as well, being in a good network and, and being around people who are, who are sort of high achievers. It's really important. It's very, very important to get, you know, and it, you know, I think you look on, like I said, you look on Instagram and you sit there and go, that's where I need to be. And don't be ashamed to sit there and think, you know, you've done fantastic, which I've done I've done well so far uh, from where I am. Great achievements. 
And there's people that are far more advanced than me that have probably got, you know, much better tips, tricks and stuff. But, hey, I'm willing to learn from you, you know, because at the end of the day, you've been where I am. And there's also people that are starting where I used to yeah. be. It's just literally stepping stones and surrounding yourself with the right individuals. And if you have got them around you, you know, and you do build these great relationships with people, I mean, you know, fantastic. That's exactly what you need to, you know, focus where you need to be and almost copy what they're doing because it's working. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And it's sometimes, like you say, leaving your ego at the door and just be willing to learn and you know, don't try and reinvent the wheel. These people are doing it, making a lot of money. Copy them, pay for their time, yeah. and, and and like you say, make sure you get the right person. Which which is a which is a hard job in itself, isn't it? Obviously, go off recommendations, like like you say, film it. There's, there's plenty of other people doing it in the space. Um, but yeah, just making sure you get the right person, and then like I say, don't don't, don't reinvent the wheel. Yeah, I, yeah. It's just it's one of them things. Like I said it's a minefield. It's just due diligence all the time, and you've got to sit there and think. You know, if you're not checking these things out all the time, unfortunately, you're going to get stung at some point, like you will in property. You know, people people go on all the time. Educate yourself, educate yourself. And there's a lot of people who just sort of jump feet first, especially at auctions and stuff like that. They don't read legal packs, and they go suddenly got a nine grand bill or something like that. You know, you have to read these things. If you don't get the solicitors, like you need your, you know, your team of solicitors and, you know, you need your architects, you know, you need your builders, you need, you know, there's so many factors to have around you, which I never had to start off with, but I had to do due diligence on every single one before working with them. And that's the most important thing. Yeah. How was your, because I know you mentioned one of your first purchases was an auction. How how was that in the end? How, how did it, how did it play out? Did it play out as you imagined or? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've done my due diligence on it from looking at company's house on the property we purchased, and I've just put the numbers up on my Instagram, so go and check them out on that video. I mean, we've done fantastically well out of that. Um, I've done my due diligence and realised, like I said earlier on, that the guy was in sort of financial difficulties. I realised that he, he just wants to out of the property, and there was loads of people looking around on the, you know, the open day, and... I just phoned them up as soon as I walked out there. I just had a feeling walking into the house. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this. When you go and view so many houses, I mean, we're viewing probably 10, 15 properties a week still now. And you walk into some of these properties and you know what you're looking for, for HMOs and stuff like that. And you just have this feeling. I can't explain what it is, but you walk in and you go, this is this is the one. you know. And I walked out. And when I walked out to the estate agent guy, I said, Sorry, I said, it's already been purchased. And he started to have a laugh, and I said, by me. And obviously, I'm a great believer on, um, you know, the universe and, you know, affirmations and stuff like that. And obviously, I've wrote down all my goals for 2024, and they're, they're big goals. Um, and stuff's starting to come in fruition. Um, you know, one of the goals is to get myself out on a podcast, and you literally contacted me the next day. So, you know, when you believe something and you're already living it, it does happen. I mean, I'm not saying there's not hard work involved, but you really do need to make sure your mindset's in check as well because this job is very, very stressful. I call it a job. I don't like calling it a J-O-B. But, you know, we we all sit there and try and escape the nine to five, and that's what property will do. But believe you me, it's not an easy journey. It's really not. And, you know, if you're looking to go into it uneducated, it's really not going to be an easy journey for you, and it's going to be so stressful at times. That's why I've gone grey. Um, you know, so 
I, I love it. I love the hustle and bustle. I love looking at new properties, thinking, you know, I know exactly what I want to do with this before I've even sort of had the offer accepted. Because you just know. Uh, and obviously each one that keeps coming and keeps going, learning tips and tricks, like I said, from like-minded individuals that are further along the game, you just start picking up these tips and you think, why didn't I know that before? And then when you start looking around, you know, all these properties for potential HMOs, I mean, I'm, I'm got a lot of groups and stuff that I'm added to. And, you know, I, I sort of help people out on there as well. And they sort of ask questions and stuff. So my DMs are always open on Instagram and stuff. If people have got, you know, messages or concerns or anything like that, shoot me over a message and I'll try and get back to you, you know, when I can to try and help you out. It's not a problem at all. Um, but yeah, it, I just think it's really important. It's really, really yeah, important. I agree. And I, I, there's something special about writing your goals down on paper. It, it, it's, it sounds all fairly early sometimes, but it's, it's definitely, it's definitely true. And everything I've ever wrote down, I've achieved or I'm, I'm on my way. Do you know what I mean? So, um, one thing I would yeah. ask Nick, how important do you think architects are to, to a HMO project? I think it depends on what stage you're at in your mm. journey. I think for individuals that are just starting out, they're extremely important. And they are. Architects are very important because, you know, if you get a good architect like we've got that's also a structural engineer, yeah. that's like that's worth his weight in gold, you know, because finding out there's there's plenty of people out there that specialise in HMOs and stuff like that. And, and, you know, they're fantastic at what they do. That's why they're so busy in what they do. But when you become, I think, at a stage in your journey and the architects are working so close with you, they know what's coming and they get so quick at it and they know what your layout's out. They, they know what type of style of properties you're going to go after, you know, the big old Victorian properties and stuff like that. They just sort of, it becomes, I suppose it just becomes sort of, you know, second nature to them. They know what to do. And I think there are developers out there that are far more advanced than me that may not use architects because they've done it for so long, 20 years, they might not use it because they know the exact layout. And, you know, I'm not saying don't do that. If you're that far advanced and you're that experienced, there's no problem in not using an architect. But if you're very, very new to the game, I mean, even if you're in it 10 years and you want to use an architect, because sometimes it it just eliminates another job that you've got to go and think of. You just pass it over to the architect and they say, yep, yeah, I know what we're doing with this. And you're just going to say extension out the back, loft conversion. They just do it for you. And before you know it, you've got the plans already written up for your C3 to C4. And they've already done, you know, the C4 to Sue Gem for full planning, permitted development they've done. And you've got four sets of drawings before you've even completed on the property. So, you know, you've got to be one step ahead of having all that done prior to completion, because as soon as that completes, you've got to be putting those drawings into the local governments, you know, and the councils, because otherwise you're just, you're just, you know, you're sitting there not utilising your time correctly. And then once that property starts going, start looking for another property, start buying the prices, because, you know, these can take two to three months to go through. It might take, you know, two months or, you know, eight weeks. Just keep that train going, you know, and if you don't sometimes be afraid if you haven't got no cash, like, try and sit there and go and have this property and put a purchase price in and just make sure you start surrounding yourself with angel investors or making yourself investable. That's the best thing I can say that, you know, if people are going to come and part money with you, you need to have a bit of a background to see what you're doing. You know, if you're sort of sitting there on 
on Instagram, you're not really showing what you're doing or anything like that, or you haven't got stuff to back up. Why is somebody going to give you money or a hundred thousand or 200 grand? Or, you know, a lot of investors, like you said, we've opened up our books to work with, I think four individual investors this year, um, which I've never done before, but I've already got two investors on board with, you know, quite substantial amounts of, you know, money behind them because they've been following me for over a year on social media, seeing what I'm doing, you know, stuff like that. So it's about building that rapport with them as well. You're never just going to sit there and get somebody to go, yeah, I'll give you 150 grand or a quarter of a million pound without, you know, knowing who they are. And, you know, they, they need to know your journey as well and how good you are. Um, so yeah, that's another sort of point to take. I think that once you start getting good at what you do, people start throwing money at you <laughs> it's always the hardest thing you know when you whenever you get loads of money thrown at you by investors you then can't find the properties it's always it's always something you know there's loads of properties out there you've got no money you've suddenly got money there's no yeah. properties out yet so you know it's always it's always trying to trying to solve problems being a developer that's all it is it's, you're a problem solver yeah most definitely and do you think is is, is auction going to be your is auction going to be your route now do you think do you think for the next i think because why i think i Every every property that I purchased, I've never purchased for auction. Every property I purchased, my last one was was a direct vendor. It took nine months to go through. I could have been in and out of one, but you know, by now. But yeah. obviously, at the time, you don't realise that you're constantly thinking, right? This will be done next month. This will be done next, and and things happen. Yeah. But I think auction is four weeks, boom, done. No messing about. If you do mess about, you get a big fine, and you know what I mean. What what, what are your thoughts on that? What do you think? I, I still do every single track possible. I mean, I actually quite like, you know, looking at right move on the market, all of them guys still looking at the auctions yeah. as well, because, you know, you can pick up some fantastic deals, but you just need to make sure you've got cash in bank to be able to do the auctions. Now, sometimes it's better to go down, you know, looking on right move and direct to vendor or whatever it may be, whatever works for you. That's what it boils down to. Now I'll, I'll purchase property any single way. A lot of the properties we look at, obviously, are very rundown or they're probate. Now, one thing you've got to be 100% sure on is that one thing I'd sit there and say to people is that when you look at these properties, if you're looking at an HMO, ask the estate agents, has the probate been granted? And if it hasn't and they say, no, it's been applied for, say to them and ask them, when did it get applied for? Because if they say, oh, it got applied for last week, because what you'll find a lot of estate agents will, will put them on the market hoping that within three months time the probate gets granted so that's one thing you've always got to be careful of is that you know they sit there and say oh the, you know the solicitors the probate solicitors turn turn around and told us to put it on the market and you sit there and just for experience it can take 12 months it can take six weeks six months eight months you don't really want to be getting involved with that unless it's a property where you know you've got such a fantastic deal and you don't mind waiting it all depends on what your journey is if you want to get in and out quick don't get involved. Just don't get involved. There's so many properties out there to sort of go and do. The other thing I'd sit there and say is, is that to people, don't just get emotionally attached to properties. You think, oh, my God, it's fantastic. I love it. If it if it wasn't meant to be for you, there's a reason why it wasn't meant to be. You know, so, yeah, I, I, I purchased from multiple multiple angles, multiple, you know, agencies, estate agents. Get, you know, get good with the estate agents, local guys as well. You know, your best friend sometimes is, you know, right move and just scrolling on it like almost yeah. daily, you know, because you're going to know exactly what to look for. You can go to a deal sourcer and stuff like that, but I've never used one. 
I've never used one before. I'm not saying they're not good at what they do, but I do find sometimes with deal sources, seeing some of their deals, they're not realistic on build costs. Mm. So you've got to be very, very careful if you're getting it. It's such a good deal from a deal sourcer. You know, I understand that people have got to make money and stuff like that, but just do your due diligence. You know, ask a builder and say, is that going to cost that much? And he might go, not a chance. You know, so, yeah, it's really important, obviously, to try and find out. But like you said, multiple avenues is the best way. Just go and look at property. Look, at look, and look. If, you know, if you're new to it, you've got no money or anything like that, you know, or you want to get into it, go and look around properties and start getting yourself, you know, engaged with the properties, what they look like, what could they look like, you know. And obviously the other thing is to make sure you learn about your guidelines and stuff as well for your local council, HMO regulations, safety, fire. Get to grips on that first before you do anything. Because as soon as you know that and you know you can go into a property and just go, boom, I know exactly what I'm doing, you're not going to get a builder turn around and go, oh, you need this done. It's like, no, I don't. So yeah, you know, yeah. yeah touching, touching on what you said there as well about the sources, I, I, I've never used a sourcer. I wouldn't necessarily disregard one, but I, I do enjoy the process of sourcing myself and finding properties and stuff like that. And again, with, with what you said yeah. about right move, there, I, I think I, I agree. Right move is still got plenty of plenty of deals on. Just post COVID, when the when the property market went crazy, there was a property uh, apartment on um, that had been on for three to six months it, it just wasn't shifting and it was on for 110 i offered 95 on it bearing in mind that this time the market was booming everything was selling you know people weren't getting it for viewings it was madness uh, i offered 95 on it got it yeah. sorry i offered 90 on it got it spent seven and a half on it sold it six months later for 153 and this this was at the wow. heat of the so wow. this was at the heat of you know, the property market being absolutely madness. So my point there is right, we've still got good deals. If you can find value in a property, other people can't. Yeah. And that's, again, part of education, isn't it? Yeah, but you've also got to think as well, like where we were back in 2023, you know, knowing the market and knowing where the market is and potentially where it's going. I mean, I kind of knew where this, where this was going to happen in terms of the interest rates, you know. I still think it might be a little bit rocky this year. Um, but it doesn't stop me from buying property because the way I look at things is from the all-time highs of, say, you know, sort of October, November 2023, you know, 2022 even, you know, prices were through the roof. The way I look at prices now is that they're already at 15% below market like discount. Some places up to 17 even 20%. So if you're looking at properties that are sort of 10 15% below market value, straight away, if you can get another 10% off that deal, there's your 25% in five years' time that you're going to make your profit on. So, you know, it all depends on what your final goal is. If you're coming into property to try and make quick cash and you're a proper investor, it's it's a long game. It's a, it's a real long game, you know. People come in and they try and flip properties and, you know, stuff like that. Fine. You know, the market for flipping at the moment... Unless you've got it real, you know, real good value on on buying it, that's where you're going to make your money is, is purchasing price. So if you do purchase at a fantastic level, I mean, my property I bought there at two two hundred thirty seven thousand five hundred, you just wouldn't see that. I don't even think in this market now it'd probably be like close to, you know, two ninety three hundred thousand. So, you know, straight away within a year and a half, like, you know, just because it's one of the largest properties on the street that. That's what you just got. You just got to be careful, you know, in the market and just know the market a little bit more. 
um, it's really important as well, you know, to know the statistics and stuff of what's going on with the economy, where the banks are going, you know, it's really important to know that as well, not just sitting there looking at prices of property because you're going to be a little bit behind if you're forecasting what's coming up next from the government CPI data and stuff like that. So, yeah. 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 Well, I, th- I think that's a, a good point to end on, Nick. Like I say, it's been absolutely brilliant to have you on. I've loved it. Um, firstly, congratulations. I think it's the longest podcast it's the Thank longest you. podcast we've done. <laughs> but um, I've got a passion for, for property, and I'm sure you have as well. And it's nice to talk to an individual that has that same passion as well, because you can talk for hours about property. So I want to thank you for having me on as well. Um, and like you said, all of the listeners out there, if you don't already follow me, and uh, obviously yourself, Callum, give us a little follow, and you know we'll be happy to uh, happy to answer any questions or help you out along your journey. Yeah, most definitely. If anyone's looking to you know invest or even just connect with with Nick, get onto yeah. his uh, his Instagram. It's it's great. There's a lot of value on there. I've I've learned a lot just from just from looking at it. So, like I say, Nick, thank you for coming on. I hope it was uh, okay Thanks for you. Much. I've had a cracking time. It's been it's been nice to talk to someone who's. Um, got the same similar sort of vision as me what they're trying to do and with the HMOs and stuff and I love it I've absolutely yeah. loved it yeah yeah I've enjoyed it as well mate I, I appreciate it Callum like I said I'm sure we'll we'll continue talking with each other like we, like we have now so yeah it's brilliant thanks very much for having me on no problem at all Nick and all the best for 2024 you too mate